So I heard a sweet little story this week about a boy. Saw this big circus tent. He was super excited about the circus, but he was poor. He didn't have any money. So he came up with a plan. He thought he would sneak around back behind the tent, and he would sneak under the back of the tent, sneak into the circus. And so that's what he did. True story. The kid goes around behind this tent because he doesn't have any money, and he sneaks in, and he discovers that he has broken into a church revival. <laughs> I know. I know. I thought that was funny. Here, here's what's not funny. It's when, when, you, when you think you're coming to church and it ends up being a circus. Now, that would be bad. Thanks be unto God, that's not what you've been participating in today. Because we've had, a, there's a holy gravity, even though I hope you see there's a great gladness among us. There's a gravity to it. There's a seriousness. Church is not just a human idea. Church is God's very best idea for our time. And that's what we're talking about because we're in a series called Titus, the Little Red book of church. I have fielded so many questions, mostly from little people like, so is there a red book? And I'm like, no, that's like, it's symbolic. It's not really red. It's like Harvey Pennick's little red book of golf was like a primer, or if you're from England, a primer on golf. And, um, and this book is a, a primer on church. And church is wonderful because it's God's idea. And it's God's special idea for our time. In other words, saying it this way is important. Little clusters, little medium-sized large clusters of Jesus-following people that are gathered together to obey him, to follow his ordinances, to ordain or to choose elders, to hear the teaching of the word. Churches, clusters of Jesus people, are God's plan for our age. This is where God especially does what he does. Manifests his glory, shows his power, changes lives. It's his plan. So it's happy and it's serious. It's glad and it's grave all at the same time. It's not a circus. And when you read the book of Titus, this little 46-verse book of three chapters, you get the basic idea of what church, what a good church is. And that's my text, or that's my uh, title today, a good church, a good church. And I read this once by a French explorer. He said, if you want to build a ship, you don't drum up people to collect wood. You don't assign them tasks and work. If you, if you want to build a ship, you rather teach people to long for the endless immensity of the sea. He said, if you want to build a ship, you know, people have to have it in their heart to see what it would be like to be in a ship on the open sea, and they will figure out how to do it. And when we read a book like Titus, that's the feel that we have. There's a simplicity to it. There's an organicness to it. I just made up a new word here in church. It's organic. It's simple. It's transferable. It's transcultural. It works at any time. It works at any place. It works with any people. There's a, there's a depth to it. There's a simplicity to it. It, let me give you an example of that. So I'm going to ask four questions. I want to show you that all four of these questions that we, that we often think about are answered very clearly in the, the, the few verses that we have before us in Titus chapter 2. Here's question number one. Should church be aimed at believers or should it be aimed at unbelievers? Should church be like aimed at believers or should it be aimed at unbelievers? That's a good question. A lot of people have been asking that. A lot of ink has been spilled about that. A lot of podcasts have been done about that. What's your opinion? That's interesting. But Titus is going to speak clearly to that. Here's a second question. Should church be aimed at men or at women? 
Now, it's interesting, and I've read a lot about this. I've listened to podcasts, watched videos on the importance of, you know, appealing to women or the importance of, uh, of aiming the church at men. Which is it? Should church be aimed at men or women? Tithes is going to speak very clearly to this. Here's another one, and this is a kind of an important one. Should church focus on older people or should it focus on young people? Should church, like, cater to older people or should it, like, cater to young people? And there's a lot that's been written about this. Big books, big as, almost as big as the Bible, have been written on whether church should be aimed at older people or at young people. I know what you're thinking. If you're old, you're going old. And if you're young, you're going young and hard. But Titus is going to speak about that clearly. Here, here's a fourth question. What, what makes a good church? What makes a church a good church? What makes it, I've thought about this all my life because I come from church people. My dad's a pastor. My grandfather's a pastor. Brothers are pastors. Sons are pastors. You know, all God's children, pastors. But, um, and so we think about what makes a church a good church a lot. And we, we, I remember as a kid from my, my youth watching my dad read articles and, and compare himself to others and say, is our church a good church? But the answer to that question is really not hard to find in the Bible. It's right here. It's actually in chapter 2. It's in all of Titus, these less than 50 verses. It's interesting. Um, before I came here, the leaders, I think Pastor Leo led the elders in this, came up with some family values. One of them is, you, you remember this guy's being taught, it's not about us, but it's about the kingdom. That's a truncated short version of that. It's not about us. It, it's, about, it's about kind of, it's about others. It's about the kingdom. This is, uh, this is um, an example of an answer to some of these four questions. Let's, let's just answer these four questions, and I want to show you these things in, in Titus chapter 2. And the, the, the people told me that chili won't be done until 1.30. Uh, so, no, no, I'm just kidding. We are not going to burn the chili. I promise we will not burn the chili. So um, here we go. Should church be aimed at believers or unbelievers? Well, church is for believers to express their worship and to learn and to grow. And you can see this in Titus. What it's talking about here is continually teach them this, teach them this, teach them this. It's as if it's being spoken the, the, to believers. But you'll also notice this. There are continual references to unbelievers. So it's like this. Church is for believers who continually have the plight of unbelievers near their hearts. So we're always continually conscious of our mission to unbelievers, of our, of our uh, regard for people who are not yet believers, of, our, of the fact that they are stamped with dignity and honor in the image of God, that people outside of Christ, people that God may be drawing to himself, are the very focus of our efforts. So it's yes and yes, it's, it's no and no. Should church be aimed at believers or unbelievers? It's for believers who are continually conscious of the unbelievers around us. And that's why that they've said here at Bethel for years, it's not about us, but it's about his kingdom. That's why. Now, I will tell you this little thing, and everybody knows this is true, but that is, you know how it works. The paradox of life is that when we focus on others, that's the most selfish, that's the most wonderfully selfish thing that we can do, right? In other words, when we aim the church at, that we love for us at others who don't know the Lord, and when they come to know the Lord, then you're involved in something that's more fulfilling for you than anything else you could ever have been involved in. It's bigger than the Super Bowl. There, I said it. Even if the Lions were in the Super Bowl, and I will, the, the team that's going to win the Super Bowl tonight got beat by the Lions. I just want you to know that. The Lions already beat them this year, so it's like they're better. Anyway, just want you to know that. So stay with your notes, Ken. Okay. Should the church be aimed at men or women? 
uh, men or women. When you read Titus 2 in particular, here, here's a structure of Titus 2. It's that Paul is writing to this young pastor, Titus, and he's saying, I want you to teach the older men this, and I want you to teach the older women this, and I want the older women to teach the young women this, and I want you to remind the young men this, and I want you to remind, it will say, the workers this. In other words, it's really clear in the less than 50 verses that is Titus, the little red book of church, the Primeron church, that God wants us to be conscious of men and women, and that, and that brings us to the second. And by the way, so the, so the Bible teaches that men and women are co-regents in God's rule of the earth. In other words, there, there's kind of a royalty there. God is the king the creator king of the earth, right? And you go to Genesis chapter 1, and you see that in Genesis chapter 1, he creates the world, and then he, he brings in Adam and Eve, and he creates Adam and Eve, and he says, now I want, you to, I want you to rule over this. And he doesn't say, Adam, you rule over this, and Eve, you just be his cheering squad. He doesn't say that. He, he doesn't say, Adam, you know, you're in charge, and there's the little woman over there to cook for you. <laughs> Now, that's a good, I like the cooking idea, but it just doesn't say that in Genesis. I'm just saying, it doesn't say that in Genesis. It's later in the Bible, but it's not there. But, but he does say that she's going to have to take dominion with you. And this is repeated like in Psalm 8 as, as an example. So they're co-regents. Does that make sense? In other words, there's a, there, there's a, there's a kind of a royal, uh, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a responsibility that we have that has kind of royal overtones. God is the king of the earth, and he's allowing us to, to rule on the earth or take dominion over the fish in the sea, the birds of the air, whatever passes through the path of the sea. That's a Psalm 8 expanding on Genesis 1. And he says to men and women together have that rule. In the church then, it ought to be that way, that the only restriction that women have would be a restriction that they were given in the scriptures by God and no other extra restrictions. So women are, have a high and holy calling from the Lord. They're co-regents in the earth and they're co-laborers in the local church. So read the New Testament in a kind of a plain way and, and, be, and, and wake up to the women that are there. So like for instance, if you ever went to the Holy Land, you, 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 before you went to the Holy Land, you read the New Testament and you read the geographic references almost out of it. You almost read over the geographic references. Then after you went to the Holy Land, you went back to your Bible and went, oh my goodness. And you started reading all the geographical references of the New Testament like they came, became color. Do that with women in the New Testament. And, and just look at you, what you will find is that women in the New Testament church, and this church we're talking about, were vital co-laborers to the apostles themselves. You know, in one case, there's Phoebe there in, you know, in, in uh, uh, Romans 16. And I love this part, where, and I'm just paraphrasing a bit broadly. And, and Paul is saying, you help her with whatever she needs and you get her what she wants. And I laugh when I think of that because I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor for 40 years, and that's the secret sauce in the church. And that is you find who the Phoebes are, and you get them what they need, and they will get things done. That's the, that, you're all real quiet about that, but y'all know it's true. Now, here, here's, uh, here's the other question. Um, should church be aimed at older people or younger people? Should it be aimed at older people or young people? Well, the church that pleases the Lord should never dishonor, never disrespect older people. Being an older people, I feel very keenly this. A church should never dishonor older people. 
A church should never disrespect older people. A church, that just would be inappropriate. But the Bible also says we want to be, we have a special care or circumspection that we would never offend young ones. Like Jesus had a really graphic way of saying it would be better for you to have a millstone hung about your neck than you offend one of these little ones. So there should be a special regard for little ones in the church. There should be a special love for the weakest among us, for the youngest among us, for the male and the female. And there should be a special honor for the aged. It probably would help you if I told you a story. I have a pastor friend I admire a lot. His name is Bob McNeil. He pastors up in Shelby. And he's pastored, he started a church and he's been there for a long time. And it's a great church. It's a really strong church. It has a lot of older people in it. It has a lot of younger people in it. Kind of unusual, you know, to see a church that has a good mix of old and young. And here's what he told me. He said, you know, there was, a, there was that whole, you know, what kind of music are we going to sing in the church question that came uh, to, the, to the leaders of the church. And Pastor McNeil, who's a very, very strong leader and he's kind of a man's man, here's what he did. They have a, a class of elderly people in the church, a large class of elderly people. And these are the heart and soul of the church. These people are paying a lot of the bills of the church. These people are doing a lot of the serving of the church. These people are conscious of the doctrine of the church they're the, they're the they're the 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 history of the church right and so he goes into their classroom and he asks permission to speak and he closes the door behind him and he walks over to the to the podium and he, and he pushes it aside and he takes a stool and he pulls it over and he sits down on a stool and he goes i want to talk turkey with you so they're looking at him and he goes i know you don't like drums in the church am i right they're like yes we don't like drums in the church we like hymns in the church we don't like drums he goes, I know. He goes, now, here's the thing. Young people, they like their lively music. Yeah. And we love them. And they want to have drums. So here's what I'm going to ask you. I want you to buy the drums for them. I'm asking you to buy the drums for them. I never had this kind of John Wayne leadership myself, but he does. He's that kind of guy. So you know what happened that day? The older people in the church took of their hard-earned money and they, bought, they gave enough money to buy three sets of drums. Now, they don't have three sets of drums, but I'm just saying, the people, what did they say? They said, the church isn't just for our preferences or what we love. We love young people, and we're going to set aside some of our preferences for them. Now, now, I hope in a church like that, right, that often we get to sing the songs that Grandma likes. Here's, here's the way I said it. When, when I was being interviewed uh, by the pulpit committee here, they asked me about this. This is an example of that. And I said, well, here's how. I look at it like family. And this is what you're going to see in Titus chapter 2. It's talking about older women. I'm sorry, it's talking about older men. It's talking about older women. As if they're regarded in the church. As if they're important to the church. It's talking about younger women. It's talking about younger men as if they're regarded in the church. As if they're important to the church. In other words, what's it saying? It's like we're family. In other words, like I have a son whose name is Chuck. And, uh, and, and Chuck, he likes classical music and he likes rock music and all kinds. I got sons who like rap music. And, and, then, and then there's my mom and she doesn't like rap music. She likes hymns. And she grew up with, you know, beautiful old hymns. And if we got together as a family and grandma wanted to hear a hymn, we wouldn't say, grandma, you sit down and be quiet. Go over there in the corner. We're not going to talk to you and we're not going to sing your hymns. That just wouldn't be respectful to grandma, would it? And grandma does not like rap. I'm just telling you that right now. Grandma doesn't like rap. But I guarantee you that grandma would do her very best to love Chuck and whatever song. If he got his guitar out, and he often does, and he played a song for grandma, she would have a tear in her eye when he was done. Well, what I'm saying is 
what you're going to see in Titus, in this little simple Primrine church, is that old people are important in the church, and young people are important in the church, and we are expected to show regard for one another, and there's something very, very practical about that. I don't want to belabor that. Listen, that other question would be, what determines the quality of a church? What makes a church a good church? Well, you know, in America, I, I think, I've grown up in this, we generally tend to think, well, we often attach the size of the church. You know, right? We say, oh, it's a, it's a growing church, man. It's a big church. A lot of people that, it's got to be good. A lot of people go there. You know, of course, that, you know, if it was a big mosque, would that please the Lord? Uh, the answer is no on that, just in case you're wondering there. That, the answer would be no, because in a mosque, they don't exalt Jesus Christ, who's the king of the universe. Sharing that with you. Why are you quiet about that? Do we have any Christians in the house? Any Christians today? Does anybody love Jesus here besides me? I'm just asking. Yes, right, right. So you said a big mosque, it doesn't mean it's right, right? You can just be totally sincere and wrong and big and totally wrong. And that, so that pragmatism is something that we should. So there's nothing in Titus about that. Nothing in Titus that indicates the size of the church indicates the, the quality of the church. Nothing in there, nothing. It's interesting. Um, or, or the budget. It doesn't really say anything about that. It doesn't say anything about the budget of the church being a measure of whether a church is good or not. Interesting. So the, the things that we tend to measure a lot, how many people are coming and how much money was given are significant things, but they don't happen to be things that are re referenced in the book of the little red book of church at all. It just talks about the quality of the older men and the older women and the Christ-likeness of the younger women and the younger men. The Christ-likeness of the members is the measure of whether the church is good and their obedience to the gospel of salvation by grace through faith and their, their, uh, their behavior of good works. These are the things that Titus talks about. So these are, what I'm, here's what I'm trying to point out. And it's kind of a lengthy bit of an introduction here. And that is, Titus answers in really clear and simple terms the questions that everybody's asking about the church today. Is it for old or young? Is it for outsiders or insiders? Is it for men or women? And how we measure whether it's good. When we go through Titus, you're going to see that. So let's look at these things as we have time. The older men, we mentioned this before. What, what did Paul say for Titus to teach to the older men. Remember, it's from last week. It's about teaching and talking. What did Paul say for Titus to teach to the older men? What does he say to teach to the older women? What did he say to teach to the older women who they should teach to the younger women? And what did he say that they should teach the younger men? We'll see how much time we have for this, and we'll just pull over and stop when it's chilly time, okay? So qualities to teach older men. Notice verse 2. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Self-controlled, by the way, is mentioned four times in verse 2, in verse 5, in verse 6, and in verse 12. This was a major one. We'll tell you why in a minute. But, but this is a little bit of a review, if you will. A church that's a good church, that's an obedient church, should have older men in it who are serious about the things of the Lord, that are dignified or worthy of respect and admiration, that have a gravity or a gravitas about them. They're men that you would trust around your people, the men that you would listen to because they're wise. Every man who manages to be old is not wise. There's such a thing as older men who are foolish or filthy, and these are not the kind of men that should preside in a local church. But in a cluster of Jesus followers, there are always going to be older men 
who have walked the path of obedience and communion with the Lord a long time, and the fragrance of God is upon them, and the glory of God is on them, and the likeness of Christ is in them, and they are dignified or worthy of respect or admiration. They are self-controlled, and this is interesting in the scriptures. We know that self-control is a human impossibility, but it is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. In other words, there are older men who, are, who listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, and in the unction or in the uh, in the impulse of the Holy Spirit and in the power of the Holy Spirit they obey the commands of the Bible and the result of that is they have the fruit of the Spirit in their life this is what one of the things that makes and if you're an older man two things number one in the areas of your life where these things aren't true you should sincerely repent and sincerely seek God for help but you should also be encouraged to know that these things are possible for you can I just boldly ask you plainly, I do this myself, I ask you that our men in the church, go through your life, you know, as if you're with the Lord and the Lord is pointing out things in your life and confess what's wrong and be honest and open. And you may even choose somebody that you really trust that you can go to and begin to walk in the light and make right what's wrong. So the church has men in it who are sincere and who are godly and have this gravity about their lives. And they are walking in the spirit. And the Bible says they're sound in faith and they're sound in love and they're sound in steadfastness, which is similar to hope. And those are the three things that are often, you know, paired in the Bible. Years ago, I had a hospital call to make. I had been called to a little church in Ohio, and I had a hospital call to make. I was new there, and so when I realized I was going to go to Newark to the hospital, I realized that I was going to drive within seven miles of my grandfather's old farm, and I hadn't been there in many years. He'd sold it. It had left the family, and I decided that I would leave early, and I'd go past the old farm and just see what it looked like. So I drove off the main road and down the gravel road and wound through the hills, and then at the top of the hill where the little split rail fence is, I looked down into the valley to to see the farmhouse where my grandparents had lived for so long. And so many things were obviously different, even from so far away as the hill. The barn was gone. The hog barn was gone. The garage was gone. There were trees that were gone. There were so many things that were different. The pond was grown over. It wasn't tended like my grandfather tended it. But there was something I noticed that really shocked me. And that was just this tree that was growing down by the spring run. And it was just huge. It was like a cedar. And it was a huge towering tree. And the thing that shocked me about that was that I had vivid memories of decorating that tree with my grandfather for Christmas on a six-foot stepladder. When I got back to my grandmother's, she was still living, I said, Grandma, I said, I went out by the farm today. She said, yeah, it's not the way it was. I go, no, it's not, but that tree down by the spring run, it's huge. My grandmother, all of her life, had the blue eyes of a 16-year-old girl. And she looked at me with her blue eyes and she said, Kenny, you need to ask your dad about that tree. I'm like, why? She goes, there's a story behind it. Not being a story to tell herself, she just said, you should talk to Uncle Bill or your dad about that tree. So I went to my Uncle Bill. I said, Uncle Bill, tell me about the tree down by the spring run. He goes, you don't know about that? I go, no. He said, well, you know, back in the day, we didn't have deer hunting, but we had rabbit hunting. And the first day of rabbit hunting season, everybody played hooky. Everybody just left school. All the guys just took the day off. And we went to your grandpa, your dad and I went to your grandpa, and we said, can we take the day off? And he said, you can, but you can't lie about it when you go back. You just got to tell them that you went rabbit hunting. So they said, no problem. They went rabbit hunting. They had a great day. Next day, they went back to school, and there was a big line in the assistant principal's office of guys who had played hooky to rabbit hunt that day. 
And they were all saying, I was sick yesterday. <laughs> it just went down the line. And it was just kind of a joke in the school, you know. Assistant principal said, uh, why were you gone yesterday? And they would go, <clears throat> I was sick. And the assistant principal would smile at him and mark him, uh, excuse the absence, you know. And then when it got to my Uncle Bill and my dad, my grandfather, it made him tell the truth. So they go, they're kind of smart, Alex, too. And they said, we're, we were rabbit hunting. And the assistant principal kind of looked up at him and shocked and said, are you sure you, sure you weren't sick a little bit? And they said, no, we, we were rabbit hunting. And, and they said, well, if you're, if you're rabbit hunting, that's not an excuse to absence, and you have to stay after school. So they stayed after school. My dad said he was sitting in the back of the class, and he stayed after school for one hour every night all week long. And Friday night, teacher came walking back there to him, smile on his face, got this little carton that had a little twig in it, handed it to him. He says, you know, I admire you. You told the truth. He goes, I want to give you a little gift. He said, you take this home and you plant it in your yard, it'll grow up to be a big tree someday. They lived on Bars Avenue on the poor side of Newark, and they went home. And my grandfather, who had a bit of a green thumb, he planted that tree, and it was about this high when my dad went into the Navy and went to Korea. But it was about six foot tall when he transplanted it to the farm down by the spring run. And when I was a young man, I went back to the farm. It was a 40 to 60 foot tall monument of men teach their sons to tell the truth. What a treasure of a story, hey? So the kids in the church need to have stories to tell about the quality of the older men who are in the church. And it's our responsibility to live lives helped by the Holy Spirit to give the kids uh, the memory of men who really are godly men. And then women, look at verse 3. This is so beautiful. Verse 3, uh, older, uh, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine, they are to teach what's good. And then verse 4 tells what they're to teach younger women. Older women, likewise, reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine, and they are to teach what's good. So let's just talk about this for a minute. It's interesting. You, you may not recognize this immediately, but the two phrases, they go really well together. They're reverent and not slanderers. They don't seem like they go together as well as they actually do. The idea of the reverence there is that they, it's like they're performing holy duties. Older women in the church are, conducted, are to conduct themselves as if they're performing holy duties. And then the next thing is they're not slanderers. And the word there, shockingly, is the same word used for the devil, who is the accuser of the brethren. He is the cosmic blackmailer, slanderer. He's, so Paul says to Titus, go to those little clusters of Christians and challenge the older men to be godly older men that are exemplary and self-controlled. Challenge the older women to conduct themselves like they're doing a sacred duty for God and never to use their tongues in a way that the devil would use his tongue to accuse or to slander or to gossip, but only to use their tongues to do good things like to teach young women how to make it in this, in this difficult world. Years ago, uh, I went to a church in uh, Fremont, Michigan, and I was uh, called to be the pastor a First Baptist church there. Every church has its uniqueness. They did. They had the old building and the new building. They were, they were, they were uh, joined together by a little walkway. After uh, I was there just a short time, I had funerals to conduct. And, and I would put a lot of effort into the funeral. I would eulogize the departed. And I would comfort the grieving, you know. And I would preach my very best to do a good job of the funeral. But here's what I noticed. I noticed that the real healing started in the other building because the older women in the church would come early on the day of a funeral. And you would see them. They would get there a lot of times before I did. 
And they would be over there, the older women of the church, and they would be working, and, and they had a set menu that they always had, you know, and they would, they would go over there and they would work together. And this was just all volunteer, of course. It was hours before, and it didn't matter who it was that passed, whether they knew them really well or didn't know them. Those women were over there working in that kitchen. And you could count on when you went over there, there would be the smell of coffee, there would be sandwiches to eat, there would be sheet cake that people brought, there would be a sense of warmth and love that was there. And then when, after I had, you know, preached to the people, sometimes they would, they would listen with skepticism or sometimes they couldn't hear beyond their grief. But when they would go over there and they would drink coffee, and then when they would sit with those other people and they would eat those sandwiches, you could see that then they would begin to share their stories about their family. And there was a special kind of ministry that happened because those older women did what they did. So one day, I was over there, and I decided that I wanted to go to the older women, and I wanted to thank them and to encourage them for what they did because it was so important, and I just could see that was true. So I walked into the kitchen through the back door that day, and the women were in the kitchen, and they were doing what they do, and I cleared my throat, and they turned around, and they said, you know, I was counting the pastor showing up where the food is. They said something like that, and I smiled, and I said, I just want to come over and tell you how thankful I am for what you did. And one of the ladies, she said, well, I'm kind of worried. They're, we're getting old, and there aren't that many of us left, and we're getting tired, and this is hard, and I just don't know what's going to happen. You know, when we, when we pass on, well, I was a young pastor, so I just kind of reached back in my, you know, toolbox, and I said, well, I'm sure that after the younger women raise their kids and they go off to college and their nests are empty, that they'll, they'll take your place, I said in faith, you know. Okay, so guess what? About Christmas week, Pastor Affman, my, my associate there, one of my associates passed, his wife passed away, and she had written into her will that she wanted me to do the funeral. So I was honored to go back to that church and I got there early in the morning and the funeral director was there and there were cars in a parking lot and there were the light that was on in the kitchen. And I walked over to the kitchen. Guess who was in there? All the old ladies my age that were young when I was there who had raised their girls and boys and, you know, they'd, they'd served in that way and then they were making the sheet cake and that the, the menu had not changed not a bit i think the pastor smiled at me and he said we added macaroni salad i'm not sure that's an improvement really macaroni salad but he said we added macaroni salad and i said you should be ashamed of your leadership here brother but uh <laughs> no i'm just kidding he's a good guy but what, what you notice is that God's plan for the church is incredibly beautiful and simple and organic and transferable and doable. It's so sweet, isn't it? Hey, we need some older men who are genuine, Christ-loving, Christ-following older guys. We need some older women that use their tongue for really good things, and they're careful never to use their tongue for things that the devil would use his tongue for. And, you know, they are... Uh, they are, listen to the scriptures, and they are reverent in their behavior, not slanders, not given to much wine, and they teach what is good. Pray with me. We're going to pray. We're going to sing. We're going to have some fellowship downstairs. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, today, we just have been thinking about the sweet simplicity of, of a church with older 
with younger, with men, with women. All of us, our gaze fixed on you so that if we're older men, we're godly older men. And if we're older women, we're godly older women. And if we're young men, we're godly young men. And if we're young women, we're godly young women. We know that a good church is a, is a church where the people have gazed on you in a worshipful heart and have been uh, miraculously transformed to be like you. And so this is what we're praying for, Lord. And Lord, we thank you that you let us be here and that you gave us a bit of a reprieve in the weather that we could, we could get out without, uh, without unnecessary fear or danger and that we can be together now and have fellowship and listen to one another, love one another. We thank you that you've given us your, your word and the gospel that gives us life in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we, as we close in a song. Thank you.